life of little ragamuffins. I'm John Miller, and this is Everybody Trades. And thank you all so much for listening. And if you haven't checked out my latest episode prior to this one, all about the Irish potato famine, the facts and fictions therein. Yes, I highly recommend you check out that episode. I did a lot of research on it and thought it came out quite nicely, but not only to plug it, but the reason I bring up that episode is because, well, I brought up a concept that I sort of said offhandedly that I think hopefully made some sense to you people, but I also think that it's very worth delving into further, and that is the concept of hidden haggling. Now, what did I mean by hidden haggling? Well, we all kind of know. I assume most of you know what haggling means, right? Now, the interesting thing is, is that in American culture, for the most part, for instance, if you go to any big box retailer, a a Target, a Best Buy, Walmart, whatever it might be, and and just about any local stores as well, this is going to be the case, you go in and you pay the price for what the item is. If you're buying some, say, some new Bose headphones or something, and they're $300 on the shelf, that's the price tag, well, you're going to pay that and then also the tax on top of said purchase. But you know what? In other cultures, they take the attitude that we take for whatever reason in the bigger ticket items like cars and yachts, I assume, and houses, you know, that kind of deal. If you're buying a used car, it's almost expected that you're going to haggle a little bit. Well, in other cultures, the haggling is expected in just about any type of transaction. Now, why that difference is, I honestly can't say. It's got to be, there's a cultural difference there, right? Why that is, I'm not 100% sure. But here's what I do know, is that even in a culture like America, where there is an open haggling at with the checkout guy at, at Target, for instance, with Target Lady. How about that? That'd be fun. If we could haggle with Kristen Wiig's Target Lady character, I'd like to see what that looks like. But seriously, though, what you always have is hidden haggling, whether you realize it or not, because there is this constant process, once again, a constant push and a pull of price discovery. And that is quite simple consumers, the people who are trying to buy a product or a service, well, they're quite simply always trying to get the lowest price that they can. And then on the other side of that equation, the other side of that trade, if you will, you have the producers who, of course, want to get the highest price that they possibly can. Well, I guess the the simple question is, is who is right in this scenario? Should we be, should we be focusing our economy on supply side economics Should we be focusing on demand-side economics? Well, quite frankly, this idea, from my perspective, is utterly backwards. Because, frankly, they're both right. They're both – and also, obviously, producers are always consumers. Now, consumers aren't always going to be producers. Like, my little baby girl doesn't produce anything at the moment, but she sure as heck consumes. All right, and her and her preferences, we're just starting to feed her baby food. Well, guess what? Her taste preferences are part of this haggling process. We're going to buy more sweet potatoes because she seems to like that versus peas which she literally will not put into her mouth. So, guess what? Even her own subjective values, if you will, are a part of this hidden haggling process. We're going to be more likely to pay a higher price, for instance, for those sweet potatoes than we are the peas. The reality is to have a truly effective 
economy, to have an economy that's running properly, that is doing what it needs to do, which I will, I will get to and in just a minute. I'll tell you exactly what I mean by that. But first, the reality is, again, both sides of this equation, both sides of this trade are equally important. We're talking supply versus demand, consumer versus producer, buyer versus seller, whichever way you want to look at it. The reality is, is there is no godlike entity on this planet that is capable of improving upon that price discovery process. And in fact, we all sort of accept this on some level. I, I've heard many people of all different types of political persuasions and thoughts say that, well, if you want to know what your house is worth, you're not going to know until you sell it. And yes, that is really the only real assessment that a human being can actually make because everything else is just a guess, just a pure and utter guess. But by contrast, a price, a price that you've paid for a house or sold a house, that is an event. It's not some guess by an egghead in Washington or some hall of academia that you've never heard of, that person that you've never met. And most, most importantly, this person has no real stake in the game. And speaking of people in far off lands that you're never going to meet who have all the power over you, your property, and, and most importantly for this particular example, over your prices, the prices that you're going to pay for something. See, remember the potato famine? Well, that was the English who were imposing a bunch of rules on the Irish. And in fact, the English had, it's even worse, the English stole their land, as you'll remember, if you remember the previous episode, and essentially just gave it to English farmers for then the Irish to pay rent to work on it. Well, on top of that, the Irish corn laws, for instance, that was all price controls. It was all artificially raising up the price of these grains that would be sold back to England. This would, all, this would of course, benefit these English landholders in Ireland. But of course, among the many problems with that, the biggest one is that they've now diluted and completely messed up the price signals. And the problem with that, it's not just that, oh, these guys in England are getting more money, more profit than they otherwise deserve. Now, that's not fair, and that's certainly theft to my mind, but it, there's an even bigger problem than that. Because once you have destroyed the price system, the price mechanism, these events, these naturally occurring events, once you've skewed that, well, guess what? Now you've created shortages and you've created, then on the opposite side, you can get way too much of something on another, you get abundance, absurd abundance to the point where, oh, we've, we've made way too much of something and now there's no demand here to sell all of our supply. See, again, that's the balance. That's why you see cities in China that are ghost cities. They're these centrally commanded, oh, we're just going to, this is what supply-side economics is, essentially. Or maybe it's demand-side. I don't know. Regardless, it's a chicken-before-the-egg type or horse-before-the-carriage type argument. See, these people in China are going, if we build a bunch of huge apartments and cities, well, then, therefore, people will move into them. But that's not how, that's not how it works. It has to be demanded before you can provide a supply of something or else, guess what? You're going to get something way, way, way wrong. Now, just to be clear here, obviously, 
private businesses, corporations, whatever you want to call them, private people are going to have to make forward-looking assessments based on their own assessment of the market, of consumers, and of what they're going to want. And ultimately, with a free trade price discovery, hidden haggling type system, you're going to always get the resources to go where they need to, where they are most needed and at that time. Now, I've used this example many times, but it's worth repeating again. This is how Uber works. This is how surge rates work on Uber. When there's a tremendous amount of demand for Ubers, say around a bunch of a, a block of nightclubs at closing time, well, yeah, the people who need to leave the club immediately at that time, they're going to get those Ubers because they're willing to pay the six to seven times what the normal rate is. Now, on the other hand, the people who maybe don't need to get home that quickly, well, they're going to sit it out, maybe get a slice of pizza, wait until the surge rate comes down in another half hour, an hour, and they'll go home at a relatively normal rate. I don't know why people have a problem with this process, because if you didn't allow this, again, this naturally occurring price discovery process, then all the people who desperately needed to get home at closing time, well, they wouldn't have any supply. It wouldn't be there because there'd be no incentive for the Uber drivers to go to this area. Again, it's signaling to all the Uber drivers around, hey, you don't have any fares right now? Well, go to this place. Go to the row of clubs that are now letting out. That's what the price is telling you. That's the signal. It's telling you that there's a demand here. Hey, we need some supply. And then eventually, enough Uber drivers will come into that area. Again, that's what causes the price to go down. Again, this process never ends. There's a constant push and pull. And that's what makes things better, more efficient, cheaper, and abundant. And here's the beautiful thing. It's natural, too. This free trade process, this thing that we all endeavor in, what could be more natural to human beings than to say, oh, you've got something, hey, you've got maybe some extra lumber, you've got some extra firewood, whatever it might be. Well, I've got some extra coconuts. I'm really good at getting coconuts. Well, since I'm really good at this and you're really good at that, why don't we just trade and then we'll both be able to benefit from the fruits of our own labor? Incredible. What a beautiful symbiotic relationship. But apparently, people like David, I'm sorry, I almost said David Cameron. Tony Blair, there we go. Tony Blair, yeah, apparently he thinks still that, again, the government just doesn't do enough in the price discovery process. Yes, we need, we need more geniuses like Tony Blair, who decided to get on George W. Bush's side in Iraq War II. That's the kind of judgment that I want to see from my government. Get the hell out of here. I just, uh, that, that, that just thought process. There's just a fatal conceit there that just doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry. If you think that you're not going to find out what the price of your house is until you sell it, well, apparently you think you're God. If you can, if you can predict the future and say, no, here's what the price is going to be. I can predict this event in the future. When you're saying, when you're a price control type of guy, you really are saying that you're a deity. And that's pretty disgusting in my book. So with that said, thanks for joining me once again on Everybody Trades. Hope you guys are enjoying these as much as I am. So I will see you 
next time right here on Everybody Trades. Everybody Trades.